Hello, Julian. Hello, Mike. How are you today? I'm fine. How are you? I'm all right. It's a bit cold, isn't it? It's a bit nippy, yes. Yeah, uh, so everybody listening, everybody watching, welcome to episode 20 news of, yes. of Veterinary Ramblings. Hooray! Yay! What do you say to a baked potato that's angry? Don't know. Anything you like, you just got to butter it up. <laughs> Excellent. <laughs> Uh, what do you call a baby potato? Small fry. That's, that'd be I like chips, that really, wouldn't it? That'd be chips, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what, what have you got now? Why did the sea monster eat 12 boats carrying sacks of potatoes? They know. Because no one can eat just one potato ship. Sorry, I'll stop. <laughs> I'll stop. Hi, I'm Mike Brampton. And my name is Julian Hope. Welcome to Veterinary Ramblings. So, we're getting quite quite long in the tooth and, and proper professional at this, aren't we? I'll tell you what, I reckon we could take on a professional. I reckon we could. We could do that. I'm glad you said that. Where's that? Well, because tonight's guest is, is actually a proper professional. No, I was, I was only joking, Mike. I don't think we could. Could we really? Yeah, he's been writing. He's been writing in the uh, Chicago Tribune for twenty-one years, and uh, it's estimated that he's he's actually reached more pet owners over the last few decades than any other pet journalist in America. He's got two syndicated radio shows. Mm-hmm. Um, Pet Minute and Pet World. Um, he's a special contributor at WGN Chicago Radio. <gasps> oh, oh, who is it? Well, I'll give you a clue. He's also starred as number 59 across in a TV guide crossword puzzle. How many letters? Four. What do the clues say? Pet journalist Steve. <gasps> it's not Steve Dale, is it? It is Steve. Dale. Let's get him on. And with the bing bong, here is Steve Dale. Hi, Steve. 59 across. Yeah, that's you. That's you, Steve. You have a gibbon, Mike, behind you. Uh, Yeah. Well, actually, he's 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 actually a mountain gorilla, but I've put him on a diet. (laughs) And... (laughs) (laughs) So, indeed, the great ape has become a lesser ape. We, We are... We're putting brave faces on, but we are actually quite nervous because because uh, you're a professional and we're clearly not. And so we're we're, we're trying we're trying the best we can. <laughs> Please, Steve, <laughs> be nasty to it. As I said, us. I'm just just the talking monkey is all. So <laughs> let me answer your question. I have uh, not one but two. No, no, no. That's not enough. I have three radio shows. So two are nationally syndicated, so and one Steve. airs in Chicago, where I live, on WGN Radio. Right, so you've got Steve Dial's Pet World. Yeah. Yeah, um, that's an hour-long show nationally. I have something called the Pet Minute. I've been on the BBC, by the way, many times. Have and, you? Uh, yeah. One time, 
they called and said, or the producer called and said, you know what I want to talk about? I want to talk about homosexuality in dogs, cats, and wild animals. And I said, what? Uh, but I'm up for anything, so I did. I did some homework. I did, really didn't know the answers. But I know this. It's, it's as common among great apes, perhaps lesser apes, like you have in the background there, Mike, yep. as it is among humans. That much, I believe, scientists know this is not my area of expertise. Well, but anytime the BBC calls, how can you say no? It's the BBC. I mean, I don't know that you understand in the UK the reverence we have for those three letters in America. Probably you laugh if the BBC calls you, but if they're calling me, it's the BBC. Yes, I'll do it. I don't care what you want to talk about. So I was always happy to do it. I was on Channel 5 years back. Um, have you ever heard of Channel 5 in this country? Very, very few people have. In fact, probably Mike hasn't. <laughs> I only heard of it because I was on it on this on this one show and they were interviewing me about sexual trivia of of, of animals and so they wanted to know relative penis sizes of of, uh, of, of mammals and amounts of, of ejaculate and things like that and, and um, but after half an hour I realized they they weren't really being truly scientific and wanting to know precise data they were just wanting me to to say these these facts inverted commas that that would excite a, a rather shady audience just to boost numbers and so i said do, do you really do you really think this will interest the audience oh yes yes well yes very much so yeah yeah did you, uh, did you talk about never, giraffes it never aired it never aired. I I, I why <laughs> i didn't talk about giraffes no although Giraffes are famous, of course, for the length of the love bites they can get on their necks. I so thought I thought they were just patches of dark-coloured fur. Oh, are they? Yeah, they're, they're covered in them. I thought they were love bites. Are they not love bites? Oh. Well, I, I do know that when they uh, do what they do, it, it's quite romantic because their necks kind of... They they entwine, yeah. Isn't that, isn't that romantic? Yeah. Do you have Valentine's Day in the UK? We do. Yeah. February the fourteenth. Same here. Yeah. So do people do people celebrate with their pets in some way? No, that's illegal. <laughs> <laughs> no, I didn't mean it that way. Oh, I see. I see. Right. Right. Sorry. Sorry. Some people. Do buy cards and and presents uh, on Valentine's Day for, for their pets. Yeah, actually, yeah. I think you've probably just answered it because I every Valentine's Day I get a card and I didn't realise it, and it's probably from Poppy the dog. It's from Poppy. Yeah, year after year, and I <laughs> oh, never sent her one back. Have you? No. No. Yeah. No. Now, do you do you sign Valentine's cards in, in America because? With with us in England, there's always uh, a question mark. You, you never put your name down on a Valentine's card. It's always supposed to be a mystery, isn't it? Yeah, really. Unless, unless it's to your to your wife. Yeah. Then you have to put who it is, so that you can then say, "Look, you see, I sent you that." Sorry about our anniversary, but look, I got that. It's got my name on it. So I've got a feeling from the look on Steve's face here that, that uh, our, our colonial cousins across the pond actually sign. 
with love from whoever. Yeah. Colonial cousins actually colonial cousins actually 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 do that. Uh, we we sign our Valentine's Day card. And people increasingly actually get gifts for their pets, hopefully not chocolate, for Valentine's Day. Uh, and for all holidays and for our pets' birthdays and all of that, same in the UK? Mm-hmm. Yeah, we do. We've, we've got some presents for, for the cats hanging from the Christmas tree. Actually, we, we haven't got them hanging from the Christmas tree yet because otherwise the cats would have them. Yeah. And we've got presents for the tortoises. Uh, they are under the Christmas tree, not the tortoises. <laughs> but... What do you get your tortoise for Christmas? Uh, we, we've actually we, we've got a nice fresh lettuce in the uh, in, in the fridge. We're given, uh, but we've got them a decorative rock for for their terrarium. Sure, uh, nice, yeah. They'll love it. They, they they they're not very good at opening them. Although actually, my my nine year old daughter suggested today if we wrap them up with the lettuce leaves, then they'll they'll unwrap the present by eating it. Well, we we had a dog. I live in a condo in Chicago. And right. we have a dog who lived across the hall, Boots Montgomery. The, our neighbors had the most elaborate, beautiful, like you have in the background there, it looks like, Julian, the most beautiful Christmas tree. But they had all these gifts around the Christmas tree. And we'd walk into their house and they'd say, now it's time to celebrate. And they gave our dogs gifts that were under the tree. And they would say to Boots Montgomery, go find your present. And Boots Montgomery, sure enough, would find her present. She knew exactly what was for her. What's more, she'd open it. Not so delicately, but she'd open it. And <laughs> it was it's amazing. It is amazing. I think we uh, I think our dogs can do far more uh, than we give them credit and uh, can learn more. Uh, and the same for cats, for sure. Yeah, I think I think you've hit hit the nail on the head there, Steve. Um, a few years ago, I did a, um, a, a cycle a CPD tour where I, I was traveling around the country on my bicycle, calling into vet, veterinary practices and doing um, anesthesia CPD. And uh, I was doing that on behalf of an organization called Canine Partners. And what Canine Partners in the UK do, and I'm sure there's an American equivalent, is they train not emotional support animals, as in, I want to take my dog on a flight from <clears throat> Chicago to Las Vegas to go gambling. Um, they train the animals to actually almost become carers for people who are uh, have got restricted movement or aren't as, as mobile as they, they'd like to be. And these dogs will put the washing on. They'll take the washing out of the washing machine. I don't know that they necessarily hang it up on the line, but they're not <laughs> far off that sort of thing. Um, they'll take the dogs shopping and the dogs sure. will take, pick the, the goods off the shelves and put it in the baskets. And mm-hmm. I think uh, one, of the, one of the dogs I was lucky enough to meet, beautiful animal, um, he got something like 160 commands and reactions to these commands to help disabled and, and less able people than, than ourselves. Absolutely incredible. So I think, I think you're absolutely right. They, they understand a lot more and are capable of a lot more than very often we give them credit for. I think they know a lot more uh, than we understand that they know. And some of these things that they know, we don't even comprehend what they know. So for example, if I'm talking to you, if my dog is sitting 
right here by my side. She's not, she's three rooms away with my wife, but if she were right here, and if you were, I don't know about the UK, but the cable company in America, we're always angry at, it seems, right? So if you guys worked for the cable company and I was saying, my cable went out again, our dog would do one of two things. And most dogs would. They'd either hop into your lap or sit beside you if it's a dog too big to hop into a lap. Even those dogs will sometimes hop into a lap or they'll run off into the other room. Either way, they know you're upset. Mm. You're not yelling at them. They know that. They, they, they know up you're upset. They don't know that's the cable company, and they don't know that I pay too darn much for my bill every month. But they know <laughs> that I'm feeling upset. And it doesn't even have to be that demonstrative. If, and this has happened to me. This actually did happen to me. And I'd like to talk about COVID and how you guys... As, as veterinary professionals have played into what we know about COVID in a roundabout way. And I'll explain that in a moment. But I had a, uh, a friend, a veterinarian who early on in the pandemic uh, passed away. And the minute I heard the news, our dog came running from the other room. She didn't hear the words. And if she had, she wouldn't have understood them. Yeah. On the telephone that someone was telling me mm -hmm. when I heard about it, she knew how I was feeling three rooms away. How do dogs do that? Amazing. Um, we, we must be emitting some sort of pheromone, mustn't we, in those, in those times? Uh, okay, explain yeah. this. And it happens all the time. Mm -hmm. My wife was uh, at the uh, our car dealership, actually. Mm -hmm because for the third time this year, everyone has a reason why they don't like 2020. For me, it's flat tires. Third time this year, we've had a flat tire. So she, so she goes in, they, they fix the tire, she comes back. My dog always tells me when my wife's gonna come back. And it's not because of the elevator in the building, which our dog would hear. Hmm. She hasn't even parked the car yet. She's about a quarter of a block away from our house when our dog knows. Now she can't hear the car, we're five stories up. And as I say, it can be a block or two away that she knows my wife is coming home. At that point, she's not smelling the, my wife, uh, but so what is it? And, and studies have been done about this. Uh, in fact, the guy wrote a book. I forget the name of the book, but I've got it back there among my books. And it's how do dogs know when we're coming home? And he did, did a study where people came home from all different directions and the dog knew. If I'm coming home, yes, that same dog who is more attached to my wife, once I'm in the elevator, she knows it, but not a block away. What is it about the bond that that dog has with my wife that's different than the bond with me? And how the heck does my dog know? Have you have you come across um, quantum biology? No, I don't even know what that is. I'm, it's I... an extension of the study of quantum physics, and probably one of the best illustrations in quantum physics. This is, is paired electron theory, isn't paired, it? It's paired electron or paired photon theory, um, although it's more than a theory because we can measure it. And if you generate, um, it's tested with light particles, photons, and if you generate 
two particles at the same time from the same source, but with opposite spins, you can send one photon off anywhere, anywhere in the world, in our, in our atmosphere. If you then reverse the spin of the one that you've still got, the other one will also reverse its spin so that they're always spinning in, in opposite orbits. Um, so I'm wondering whether there's something associated with some of the, um, the quantum biology. There's, there's a very good book that UK listeners could, could pick up, which is um, Quantum Biology by Jim Al-Khalili. But my, my question is, how does it, that explain... Is it the accent, Steve? <laughs> is it my English accent? Can I get Mike to talk slower and louder? English accent. I thought it was from Alabama, but but what <laughs> y'all? But what I don't understand is how this would help our dog to understand that my wife is coming away home, even though my wife is like a block away from our house. It, it would explain it if your dog has a small but serviceable cyclotron or particle accelerator in in his basket. I, I, I honestly don't know if you guys are being serious. We're always, <laughs> we're always, we always, are always deadly serious. I think we just we just uh, wowed away by, by by the idea that that that, that dogs can sense these things, and yeah. it. I say sense in in the pure knowledge that I don't know which sense it is. Right. Is it one that we hmm. we don't know about yet? But you, you, you're right. My my dog doesn't move an awful lot. He, he's rather old and a bit frail, uh, but. He does, if my wife goes out shopping, she has an electric car. I, I struggle to hear her car. Uh, he's deaf as a post. He can't hear anything. And yet, when she comes up the drive, he'll perk up and go walking to the door. Yeah. Right. Yeah. That's what I'm talking about. Yeah. But it's if amazing. I drove up to your house, your dog wouldn't care, you know? So, yeah. I, or maybe if you drive up to your house, your dog doesn't care. Yeah. But I don't want to get personal. So I said that I had a story having to do with COVID. So, Sorry, Sorry we you interrupted you there, Steve. We no, got you on. didn't. No. This is what so, happens on the show. We get onto all sorts of things. And I, I, I wasn't expecting to be discussing quantum biology this evening, that's for sure. <laughs> I don't even so know what quantum biology science is. After all. Huh? This is not rocket science after all, is it? No. Apparently it is, if it's quantum biology. Oh, it is. It is. You're right. You're right. But, you, but I guess, tell, yeah. Tell us, tell us about COVID. Carry on. Back on to COVID, Steve. So I happen to be on the board of the Wynn Feline Foundation. Do you guys know what that is? I wanted to ask you about that, but carry on. So pretty much everything we know about cats on the planet was once funded. That knowledge was once funded by the Wynn Feline Foundation. So one classic example going back way before you guys were even around in the 1960s, and don't argue with me, the cats were at that point He's in so time, kind, isn't he? Isn't he? Isn't he? Kind. Thank you, Steve. You're, you're welcome. Uh, I'm either kind or a liar, depending on how you look at it. Don't ruin it now. Don't ruin it. <laughs> no, no, you were doing great. Carry on. Carry on. I will. So in the 1960s, cats, unfortunately, were getting something called dilated cardiomyopathy. And no one knew exactly what was causing it. And the, the researchers were coming to organizations like the Wind Feline Foundation, a nonprofit 
that funds cat health studies in the case of Wynn, we're going to organizations, universities like Oxford to say, you know, we need to, cardiologists were saying, we need to figure out what to do about it, how to fix this in the cats. One researcher, Dr. Paul Pion, who was then a student at UC Davis in America, said, no, I think I know how to prevent it, not how to treat it, how to prevent it. I don't think there's enough taurine in cat food. Taurine, of course, is an amino acid, which is essential for cats. Well, it turns out he was right about that. When funded the study, no one else, everyone thought he was crazy. When funded the study, and now there is plenty, there ought to be enough amino acid in cat foods, manufactured cat foods around the world as a result of that. Uh, back in the day, again, before you guys were around, feline leukemia, no one knew what that was. Apparently, I'm told, it was called the feline lymph node disease. People didn't understand it was a retrovirus. They didn't understand how it came about, how it was spread cat to cat. When Feline Foundation funded those studies, and as a result, Morris Animal Foundation in America came up with the vaccine that we now have for feline leukemia. Fast forward the clock to today. I'm just, yes. just yeah, yeah. for a second. So I used to work with, uh, with a, a lovely guy called Oz Jarrett. Who, who actually was, I think, the first person to sequence the um, feline leukemia virus in, in this country. Uh, and the reason I worked with him was because I was, I was in a group at the time as a, as a virologist working under Robin Weiss, who um, discovered the first retroviruses, which was uh, Ralph's sarcoma virus. Uh, he then subsequently went on to, to discover HRV um, and various other so-called foamy viruses, one of which was found in the gorilla and the orangutan, and I was the one who discovered the one in the orangutan. So uh, I like viruses. But uh, anyway, I'm, I'm, I'm rambling, as I do, but uh, Oz, Oz Jarrett is a bit of a hero in, in, in the UK for his pioneering work on, uh, on FELV and, and subsequently FIV. So interesting. No, that, that's, that's interesting to know. And I want to ask you a, a question, actually. So in America, we're not seeing, and then I'll continue with, the story here, but uh, I'll ramble too. So in, in, in America, we're seeing less FELV, uh, probably because our lifestyle of our cats, more than your country, it's absolutely more and more indoors only. Uh, and if they're indoors only, they're not likely to encounter other cats, et cetera, et cetera. So we're seeing less of it. Uh, and there are other reasons probably why we're seeing less of it too. And our cats who get it are now living, sometimes if given the opportunity, a very long life. I'm curious if the same is true in the UK. Yes, but by and large it is. Um, and I think there are two reasons for it. Certainly where I am in my part of the UK, it's a much more rural area. Cats roam extensively and may not come into contact with other cats. So there's, there's less interaction probability so it's, it's always been fairly low in this part of the country it's a lot lower because a large proportion of the cats are vaccinated and in the urban areas again that's true there's the population density but people i think are keeping them in more in much the same way as they they are uh, where, where you are but again the population is vaccinated to a greater extent and i think they're living longer for several reasons one is 
because the the care is is generally better, but also partly because we're not euthanizing them. And when I first qualified, it was almost a done thing that you came up with a, a diagnosis of FELV and, and you'd counsel the owner and say, well, I think now is the time to to, to call, call it a day. And, and we wouldn't give them a chance. And it massively skewed the survival rates. Yeah, I think you're right about all that, actually. And part of that is the same in America. Uh, we're not seeing as many cats being vaccinated. In some cases, they don't need to be. So if the building right next to where I live in Chicago, which is, I don't know, 45 stories tall, if, if you live on the 45th story and your cat is indoors only, and there are people who say my cat's indoors only and the cat does go out on the patio or out in the backyard. It's not really indoors only. It could encounter other cats. On the 45th floor of a high rise, the cat would have to walk down the hallway, push the elevator button. Really a good jumper that cat would have to be, right? To, <laughs> I, how do I get to that, you know? And then press the right floor to get down and go past the doorman and through the revolving door. That cat really is an indoor only cat. And we have yeah. more and more cats that truly are indoor only cats. They don't need to be vaccinated for FELV. Mm. Uh, FIP and feline infectious peritonitis has always been a, an issue. I was speaking about the Win Feline Foundation that our organization, I say that because I've been on the board for 12, 13 years, maybe more, has been committed to do something about. Um, and it's been a tough one. I mean, before my time on the board, it wasn't even understood exactly how FIP worked. It wasn't even understood that this was from a feline coronavirus that transformed inside the cat into an immune-mediated disease, which we now know. A lot of cats have the feline coronavirus, but only some cats get FIP. How does that happen? Why those cats? All of that, which is still to this day, not completely understood. A couple of years ago, Dr. Niels Peterson, a legend in veterinary medicine. Yeah, you're shaking your head. He wrote the yeah, book. Yeah. You can go down the hall and show you I've got the book autographed by him. I have the autographed copy. I've got, I've got a copy at work, but uh, not the autographed one. Yeah, I'm honored to have it, and I'm honored that he spelled my name right, you know? I mean, the guy is amazing and is so committed for his entire career to, to figure out lots of things, but including FIP and, and to save cats that have feline infectious peritonitis, a disease always, if you look it up in his books or any other book, considered fatal. He yeah. came to the board of directors of the Win Feline Foundation, as he has before, and the proposal was to use a drug called remdesivir to help cats with FIP. And for those of you watching who may not know, I suspect you guys know you're shaking your heads, that this drug is now used as one of the two, and there are only two, to my knowledge, or three, three therapeutics approved for COVID-19 caused by the SARS coronavirus. So he came to us and said, I've got this drug. I believe it's going to work. Here's why and all these technical ways of putting why this antiviral that was created for Ebola virus in people and did a moderate at best job. Other drugs came along that did much better. So it's sitting on a shelf at the pharmaceutical company. And he thought, I can try this. I have reason to believe it'll help cats with FIP. We said, okay. He convinced us to do a clinical trial. He, go, he goes back to Gilead, the pharmaceutical company that says, on second thought, you can't have that drug, but 
we have a cheaper drug, be better for you, it's cheaper, and it's really identical to remdesivir. So clinical trials happen, and lo and behold, these cats are living with FIP. Yeah. Peterson even said, what? A year out, the cats are still living. Some side effects, but pretty moderate. And if you get FIP, you die. So some side effects are a lot better than that. And they were mostly, if they existed in that individual. Amazing, just amazing. So Dr. Peterson wants the patent on it, goes back to Gilead after he published the study. So he's published all this, goes back to Gilead, the pharma company that says, you know, we don't want to let you have that. So then he goes to Kansas State University and says, I'm not giving up and creates a molecule that's even better and is, I hate to use the word cure, but I don't hate it at all. That's amazing, is curing curing cats with FIP. Who could have imagined when I talk to veterinarians that have been doing what you guys do for over 10 or 15 or 20 years, just to use the word cure and FIP in the same sentence is like, what? That's amazing. It is absolutely incredible. It's a heartbreaking disease to diagnose this remdesivir, which is, so it inhibits viral RNA polymerase. Mm-hmm. So it only works on RNA viruses and doesn't work on all of them either. It's, it's limited to some extent in, in the RNA uh, viruses that it works on. It doesn't work on, on retroviruses very well because they utilize the, um, the human RNA polymerase and, and the viral reverse transcriptase. And the other molecule that you mentioned, GS154124, whatever it's called, is the, the molecule that is transformed enzymatically from remdesivir in the body. And I think that's the one that Peter's developed, the, the new molecule on from that. Right. Uh, that's, I believe, all right. And it is quite incredible. I'll tell you, when the pandemic first began, we had at the Wind Feline Foundation previously scheduled the board meeting. We held it virtually, of course, because of the pandemic. And uh, the first words out of all of our mouths simultaneously was remdesivir. We knew that the government in America, somebody would figure this out quickly and Mm -hmm. go after remdesivir to see if indeed it could help people because of the similarities between the two. And uh, cats are not people. There was no guarantee. But it turns out that it does help people, of course. And if it were not for veterinary medicine, the Wind Feline Foundation, and Dr. Niels Peterson in particular, uh, this could not have happened. And now people's lives, thousands around uh, on the globe have been saved because of this drug, uh, which otherwise would not have been thought about for yeah. uh, the novel coronavirus if it wasn't for all of what I mentioned. This, this is absolutely true. And I think it's, it's, it's a testament to, uh, to the Wind Foundation and, and, to, and to Peter's, but also to the veteran profession as a whole that we are often the uh, the testing grounds and, and the proving grounds for these drugs. I, I think it has to be said, though, that, that remdesivir has one uh, really quite unforgivable side effect. And this isn't to put people off taking it, but um, uh, it, it, it probably saved the life of Donald Trump. <laughs> <laughs> well, I don't know. That, I don't know that you talk politics on this. Um, we, we, we talk it a bit. We talk it a bit. Yeah, I could tell. Um, I'll, I'll refrain, but you could probably tell from my response. Uh, but probably it wasn't necessary for him. I if he had it. 
Wing. Wing. I travel enough and traveled before all the travel stopped around the world, as I'm uh, honored to say I would give and bring me to the UK. I, I, would, I did give and have given talks all over the world, I speak. Uh, and saying you're from America over the past few years has been embarrassing. I'll leave it at that. Leave it at that. But it, uh, We've got I, Trump I mean, coming, so don't feel too. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and Boris Johnson. Yeah. Oh, oh, Johnson, rather. Yeah, I mean, he he, he came on the show the other night. It was, it was unbelievably bad, unbelievably bad. But um, Steve, it, it, it's interesting because you, we, you talk about the Wind Feline Foundation. I wanted to ask you how you got involved in that, but, it, but the, the conversations moved on from there, and you started talking. You're also involved in the Human Animal Bond Association, is that correct? Yeah. And, I'm, and we're I'm, talking here about One Health, aren't we? So It all ties in, which yeah. is why you, this is the perfect segue, right? Yeah. I mean, mm. a lot of lessons from what's happening in the world today. Mm-hmm. And, and I had the honor to interview uh, Dr. Jane Goodall uh, about, it was last year, six months maybe before the pandemic, and she predicted it. She did not say it's going to be a novel coronavirus. It's going to happen at this point in time. She is not a fortune teller. But you don't have to be a fortune teller to understand if you mix what we do and what, and what in this case, the Chinese have been doing for a very long time. And it's not only China. It's other nations around the world, including America, in a different way that have these markets that bring all these animals together and people right there in close proximity uh, with poor conditions for the animals, high stress for the animals, that disease is going to occur and those diseases can be transmitted to people. Um, that's what happened with, with the SARS coronavirus. We got lucky with the first SARS coronavirus and with the Middle Eastern Respiratory Disease or MERS, we're not so lucky this time around. Uh, and. Dr. Goodall predicted it, but she is not alone. David Attenborough has also predicted this, who I revere. I had the opportunity to interview him a couple of times several years ago. Did you? Wow. What what an amazing, amazing. He he turned us down. He did. Really? He did. (laughs) We haven't asked him. Wow. Could you imagine that, Julian? Well, you know. You must pay me at least £30,000 if you're to have any chance of getting <laughs> on the show, I'm afraid. That is so good. <laughs> you need to pay Julian 30,000 pounds because he just did it. That yeah, is right. really good. Yeah. Did he really ask for the bucks? <laughs> we haven't oh, asked him. We haven't <laughs> asked him. <laughs> oh, we didn't ask him because you refusal, should. Refusal often offends. Yeah. <laughs> no. I, I could know, phone you can't his, get refusal unless you ask. You should ask. Him. I could phone I his mean, agent and say, Mitch, I need to do this recording on Wednesday. Could you please phone me and remind me to do it, please? Because otherwise, I'll be in a forest watching a whatever. Elephant. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so he's. But but people like him have been predicting this for a very long time, and yeah. yeah. It should really be no surprise that it has happened. Now, One Health, which is the interaction between, for those who don't know, uh, humans, animals, and the environment, uh, should finally 
be more than just a buzzword or two words. It really is something we need to do something about. We need to pay attention to it and it can benefit us. It can benefit us. So here's one obvious example. It is thought now that cats are actually getting COVID far more than we thought. Now there's no signs. In fact, they fend it off instantly. Their immune system, it's there, it's gone. Mm -hmm. Not for all cats. There are a very, 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 very small percent that actually do show signs apparently and have gotten sick. And by the way, so far, so far, they're not getting sick from other cats and they're not getting sick from the environment. They're getting sick from their people who yes. have COVID. It's still a human disease as far as we know. And, and that seems to be, I mean, sadly, so many people on the planet have gotten this. And if we can count the number of pets almost on one hand, maybe both hands, we're doing pretty good. I'm sure there are some unknown instances, particularly in nations that don't pay as much attention. Having said that, what we seem to know that's amazing, these cats can get it and their immune systems knock it right out. What is it about their immune systems that can do that? And if we can figure that out, or bats, Bats get all sorts of viruses, including coronaviruses, right? And mm -hmm. maybe this is where it all started, it seems. So if that's the case, how can bats do that? So if we can understand, well, who's gonna help us understand that? Veterinarians, of course. And, and they can play and have played all along, actually, if you look closely, a significant role in helping us not only through this, but also down the road to prevent other things from happening. Uh, veterinarians have to work with the human medical community. It cannot be the human animal medical community alone. They just don't know all the answers. They're not trained to know all the answers. You guys are. So I look to both of you to save the world. We'll do it. We'll gladly do it. But it is that synergism, isn't it? Between those, uh, those two historically quite disparate branches of, of, of medicine, of science, uh, because there's been this, I suppose, arrogance on both parts. Mm. We are dealing with a separate species. We're dealing with 30 different species. Well, depending on None the veterinarian, it. it could be well over 30, right? Really? Sure. You know, so sure. uh, ask a zoo vet how many species they deal with. I guess the, the, the problem with with the knowledge that cats can contract COVID uh, and can possibly pass it on. That drives back to the original uh, statement about the, the human-animal bond, because we're all, as, as vets, terrified in this country that, that if it's widely publicised that cats can, can contract COVID, then people are going to start losing that bond with their pets or more likely people are going to start resenting cats being in the neighborhood they're going to think they're the ones that are spreading it you know i reach a whole lot of pet owners you know so mm -hmm. so i thought from the very beginning i am going to work with the american veterinary medical association on this to ensure that everything i everything i am saying is absolutely correct. I also knew that the AVMA, the American Veterinary Medical Association was working with the Centers for Disease Control in America, the World Health Organization, and to some extent also the World Small Veterinary Association. So mm -hmm. 
they, they're working with the right people, clearly. Uh, and working with them, I wanted to therefore get a consistent message out to pet parents. So early on, I said that I'm concerned about cats. Mm -hmm. Oh my gosh, I received hundreds of responses from people saying I'm a cat hater, I wanna see cats die, and that people are gonna give up their cats. What has happened at least in America, adoptions instantly and fosters instantly went up all over the country of cats and dogs, mm -hmm. and some other companion animals as well. And, and I believe they helped for a couple of different reasons. I think one reason was uh, sort of an altruistic reason. I wanna do something good for the community. Others, because they have fostered before, the timing was right and they were, okay, I'll take another dog or cat. But I think a lot of people did it because as our lives were turned upside down, we were looking for something we can depend on. Yeah. And I think innately, I mean, we evolved with dogs. We know that. We co-evolved. And one study that I like is from a, a Middle Eastern country where dogs are culturally, not religiously, culturally thought to be dirty. Even that study points that show people a dog in person, they'll back off. But show them a picture of a dog, they still smile. Yeah. They can't help but smile. And I think that we're so hardwired, that is the reason that people adopted in the numbers that they did here. Um, and as a result, some shelters, many shelters actually across the country for some time, and, and for many shelters this continues, that they have a record low number of animals uh, in the shelters. We often say, gosh, you know, that they care more about their, their dog than their, than their wife or their brother or sister. That's actually true because I think we, we project, we, we feel the pain that we assume our dogs and cats feel, and we internalize that as well. So we, we, we're feeling twice the emotion, aren't we? I agree. And also many of us spend more time with our pets than we do with our significant other or maybe I, our kids. I am being constantly accused of spending more time and paying more attention to puppy dogs <laughs> than, uh, than other people. <laughs> Have you guys heard of the Fear 3 initiative? The no. Fear, the Fear 3 initiative? No, no. Fear 3. It's my accent this time. Fear 3. So free rather than free, free, free yeah. from fear. Several years ago, a veterinarian, Dr. Marty Becker, came to me and he said, I'm going to begin this thing called fear free. And the idea is to minimize fear, anxiety and stress in veterinary visits. And indeed, being a behavior consultant, I instantly he didn't even have to speak any further. I said yes, because I understood the need instantly. For cats, you take out a carrier and the cat in my house may be on the other side of the pond, you know, right there in the UK, swimming rather than going into the carrier. For dogs, even once you're at the parking lot or the car park, is that what you guys call it? Yeah. 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 So once you're at the car park, the dog looks up and says, oh my gosh, I know where I'm at. And, and the pet parent is dragging literally that dog into the clinic. Inside the clinic, you have animals that I believe in many cases actually are so fearful, so terrified that they believe they are going to literally die. So Dr. Becker said, we can change this. 
here's how we know we can change this based on what we now know about animal behavior, products that are available now, some as simple as pheromones, others are pharmaceuticals, depending on the need. Behavior modification in of itself can do it. Uh, puppy mm. classes that are held at veterinary clinics. So puppies and kitten classes perhaps as well. So dogs and cats, when they're young, have positive experience and positive associations with the clinic once more. And as important, the owners bond with you and don't necessarily go online when they have a question, but call you when there's a question because you indicate, I'm interested, I need to know. And when it comes to behavior, that's what those questions are mostly about, right? And in Absolutely. America, that is the number one reason. It's not kidney disease or heart disease or cancers. The number one reason why animals die, dogs and cats anyway, is behavior. Yeah. I find. Yeah. And I know it's the same in the UK. So uh, Dr. Becker was so successful at this uh, that first of all, it's taken off like crazy in America. It's taken off so much here that dog trainers have said, I wanna be fear-free certified too. Dog groomers have said, I wanna be fear-free certified. Also certification is offered to shelters. By the way, that's free. Uh, in this country, and also to uh, vet schools. And every vet school in America is fear-free certified. And those fear-free messages and techniques, some of them are very simple, um, hmm. but aren't thought about necessarily, and some of them a bit more complicated. You know, one of them that's very simple that I love is offering a, a menu for clients when they walk into your practice. That menu can be for cats, tuna, hmm or sardines or, or whatever, and, and giving it clever names like tuna casserole or whatever. It's fun for the person who comes in and says, today my cat wants this. Or it's actually kept in the medical records, incidentally, that the dog likes hot dogs, but doesn't for some reason like turkey dogs or whatever it might be. Also, emotional records of pets have never been kept by veterinarians, I don't believe. And to me, the emotional health and the physical health are intertwined. The timing was just right for this. I think in America anyway, I know pet parents were looking for this kind of thing. Uh, veterinarians are being asked about, a, you mentioned service dogs. Can my dog be a service dog? I mean, these types of questions more than at any other time in our history. Cat cafes, they, I know that you have cat cafes in the UK it's millennial, by the way, that really began all this stuff. They want all of this. Yep. If veterinary professionals feel their pets that they're treating are not unhappy, not terrified about being there, and don't want to eat them alive, then they are more likely to feel more comfortable in, in the workplace, as well as more safe, but more comfortable in the workplace as well, which can actually help retain uh, employees at the clinic. Fear Free has been around a couple of years and long enough for there to be some studies. And this is what this has shown and much more. It increases revenue for those practices. Now, the cat, I talked at the very beginning of all this about how cats and dogs pick up on our emotions and we don't even understand how dogs are able to perceive our emotions so incredibly insightfully, right? Well, now you've got all of these emotions going backwards and it goes like, a, it grows, I believe, like a snowball. So people are upset. The dog or cat's gonna get more upset. 
people will get more upset. It grows. And the dog or cat will get even more upset. Well, mm -hmm. this does the exact reverse of that, fear-free. Uh, because if the pet is content and maybe even happy, yeah, happy about being at the veterinarian, and it's very possible, very possible. Uh, a cat that was once terrified doesn't always need to continue being terrified. This whole this this thing sounds sounds absolutely fabulous, Steve. And I think what you're saying makes an awful lot of sense. So, so Steve, this whole fear-free initiative and and the the whole feedback loop um, obviously has got fantastic commercial benefits for the practices, and it leaves everybody feeling a lot better. We've got better medicine better levels of care, et cetera. Do you, do you see this potentially as being an end to the, uh, the more dominant associated behaviorists that we, we, we see around? I sure as heck hope so. Right. Uh, the whole notion that hmm. we need to be dominant over our cats is ridiculous because what happens instantly with cats is the human-animal bond diminishes right there if it doesn't completely fracture altogether. Cats yeah. do not understand what we're trying to do. Dogs don't understand it much better. Um, and we're delivering all the wrong messages in all the wrong ways. There is no reason whatsoever. Dogs do not want to rule the world. They don't want to rule our household. The dog doesn't jump up on our sofa. The dog doesn't put on the brakes going into the veterinary clinic or not want to be examined by the veterinarian having anything whatsoever to do with this notion that we call dominance. That's absurd. That dog that I'm talking about at the veterinary clinic is simply fearful. The dog who jumps on the couch is uh, not listening to uh, inconsistent messages from the family because the kids say, come on on the couch. And mom and dad say, don't. Uh, the dog is jumping on the couch because it's above the floor and the floor may be drafty. The dog is on the couch because the couch smells like us and it's cozy, but it has nothing to do, zero to do with dominance. That is all absolutely made up. It was made up when it was first brought up in the 50s. Then it kind of disappeared for a while, yay, and then it came back. And it's unfortunate that it's come back. We don't need to do that. And why would we do that if dogs are our best friends? Why would we even treat them that way? We also know through science-based study, after science-based study, after science-based study, that that is not an efficient way for dogs to learn. I, I'm gonna quickly share my screen here, Steve, and, and show you a photograph. Um, this is a photograph of me taken about uh, 15 years ago. And you'll notice here that I'm using this dominance technique with <laughs> my with my lead dog. Um, was this uh, was this Valentine's Day, Mike? No, no. This was a this was dog sled expedition up on oh, the Finnish yeah. Russian border in the Arctic Circle. It was suggested that uh, I didn't need to get to know my lead dog because uh, the the lead dog was a big alpha dominant male and I probably shouldn't get to know him so I thought I'd better go and dominate him and show him who was the, who was the boss. <laughs> it's love at first sight apparently. <laughs> the dogs do have relationships with one another that, that 
<laughs> of course. Uh, and and just like we do under certain circumstances, your wife, probably if you're happily married, under most circumstances, makes many of the decisions. But under other circumstances, you take the lead. And that's the case with dogs as well, actually. And there are some dogs where one dog takes the lead all the time. When When they have that relationship worked out, the dogs actually get along far better than when they don't have it worked out. Whether you want to use the term dominant or not, I'm not sure. Uh, but but we're not dogs. And and dogs know that we are not dogs. Yes. You have to give them credit for that much. Uh, they clearly know that. But I've been asked at veterinary conferences, actually, by some veterinarian, well, I don't know. Dogs don't really know we're not dogs. How do they know? I can actually answer that. They clearly know we are not the same as they are. So uh, it's, it's ridiculous to think that our relationship with them would be the same as relations that other dogs have with one another. It's a relationship that's been built over in excess of 14,000 years. And so we, we're, again, we're projecting on, onto them this spirit of, you know, this is a wolf we're dealing with. No, bugger off, is it a wolf? This is something that has grown along with us, evolved along with us, semi-symbiotically. As you say, they know that we're not dogs. They may know we're humans, they may not, but they know that, that we're not dogs and that we can do things they can't and that they can do things we can't. And the ideal relationship is one where they give and take an equal measure to, to, um, to reflect that. Yeah, it's, it's the... Uh... It's a little different now, but but way back when, when Cro-Magnon men were around. Uh, in the uh, 80s, you mean? Hmm? In the 80s. <laughs> well, the music might have reflected that in the 80s. I don't know. I, I used um, to have really long hair back then. Really <laughs> long, flowing, golden locks. Uh, I, still, I, I still got that. You oh, know? yeah, that's good. That's it. Yeah, 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 appreciate you you. Put, we, we appreciate you putting the hat back on. Thank you. Thanks. <laughs> Steve um, there, just, just taking his hat off and showing us a luxurious thick growth of, of dark hair, which, yeah. of course, as, uh, as viewers will know, um, neither Julian nor I have. That's, that's what you call dominance. Oh, oh sorry. <laughs> I'm, I'm sorry. So one, one thing that is about dogs and wolves, one of the talks I give, actually, is that dogs are not wolves. It's that, and and I described the, you don't need to train a dog like you would a wolf. I don't know how you train wolves. That's not my area of expertise, but don't train a dog that way. You don't need to do all of these things that some trainers do. And I also talk about nutrition, how nutritionally dogs have veered off and we shouldn't feed them like wolves. They'd actually probably get sick. A dog prefers one thing over like a, a mouse so dogs were given in this study a mouse as one choice. The other choice, pizza. And it must have been Chicago pizza because hands down the dogs wanted the pizza. But that's, that's called, true. That's called sugar addiction. Well, it's the carbohydrates that dogs actually can deal with that wolves don't want to have anything to do with. Of course, incidentally, in the study, the wolves didn't want anything to do with the pizza. They wanted the mouse. But none of that would be a surprise, you know, but if you watch some of the commercials in the U.S. to feed your dog like a wolf, and if you go to websites that dog trainers have about training dogs like wolves, I think that that message is really important to impart. 
the other thing I wanted to say about that is that we now talk in America how dogs have gone from the backyard into our homes, into our bedrooms, onto our beds. It's all true. However, yeah. it's actually not news. We know by archeological evidence that thousands of years ago, 14,000 years ago or more, that we were buried alongside dogs or dogs were buried alongside us. Now, I don't know if it was a hut or a cave, but you know, both. They were like human dwellings that were constructed or in caves. We actually slept side by side and they weren't dogs yet. They were kind of like wolf dogs. Uh, they were in the process of evolving from the species of wolf, by the way, that's long gone, long, long extinct for thousands of years. But we actually slept, now think about it. That means they trusted us. I mean, there wasn't birth control then. And, and to my knowledge, you guys didn't spay neuter 14,000 years ago. So they had puppies and they trusted us with those puppies and we trusted them with our newborn. And there must've been some instances where things didn't go well on both ends. And, sure. you know, I suppose, and if it didn't go well, I, I would imagine that dog would be, or wolf dog or whatever destroyed. But that's, that's how we created what we have now, right? If you think about that, there's no other species on the planet that two predators, what's more, that had that kind of relationship and still have that kind of relationship. Yeah, yeah, I think you're absolutely right. Absolutely right. No, Poppy, you're not coming on the bed tonight. <laughs> I don't know what your ancestors did or what Uncle Steve told you. You're not coming on the bed tonight. <sighs> but we, we, we do everything we can, I think, to, to nurture that and to and to keep that relationship going. Yeah, but Poppy's still not coming on the bed tonight. <laughs> not after I told you that story. One, one, of, the, um, one of the ways I've found I can most alienate a dog from the practice is by clipping its nails badly as a puppy. You can do many other things, but actually if you, if you muck that simple thing up when it's a puppy, You've lost that dog forever. Nothing, no, no behavioural modification that I've come across can, can get that back. And I think it's that real painful experience that is direct. You can you can frighten a dog. Is it, you're talking about these dogs that that maybe in practice is thinking, "I'm going to die." I'm sure they don't think my owner has bought me here to die they're probably as worried for their owner because they just think we're both here and we're, and we're in danger. There's nothing the owner's done, nothing necessarily the vet has done or will do, but there's this feeling of terror that they reach. But you clip that dog's nails and cause pain, then that is uh, a lasting, uh, nociceptive, uh, revulsive association that they will never ever get uh, get rid of. And I think anyone who's listening who, who either owns a dog or, or is a vet, please remember that when you have a puppy in, just be gentle. If you're going to clip its nails, take a tiny bit off and get it back in a few days later, take a tiny bit off, give it some liver paste or treats or something, uh, a bit of raw food if you like treating salmonella, and uh, <laughs> just, just give it something nice to... to, to Okay. I was segueing in there. You, you talk about people wanting to, to treat their dogs like wolves. There's a huge raw food uh, move over, over mm. here. In, here too. In, 
Yeah, people don't believe it. You know, it's tough. And and that's why that's why I give that talk both to the general public as well as to veterinary professionals who greatly get it. It's it's the general public that's sometimes sold by these uh, marketing efforts and and uh, just conversations online. So, Steve, um, I don't know whether Mike mentioned to you when uh, when when he he asked you to come on the the show, and and thanks very much for, for coming on. But did, did he mention a little thing that we're running called Sixty Second CPD? No, in Chicago, CPD is the Chicago Police Department. So now I'm really worried about what this is. <laughs> in in the, in the UK, CPD is Continuing Professional Development, right. uh, which is a CE isn't it, in, uh, in America, continued education. Yes. And, and we're running this, this uh, idea of, um, of limiting someone to 60 seconds to explain a topic, any topic of their choice. And we usually give them the option to be uh, time doing that if they want. Now, you haven't had any chance to prepare, and nor has anyone else, because that's where we Do you want to take up the challenge? Sure. Yeah. Yeah. You're up for that? Fantastic. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Fantastic. That'd, be, that'd be brilliant if you would, Steve. Mike has, Mike has held up a clock. Okay. <laughs> if, if you if you do, that'd be absolutely awesome. It'd be great. What, what, what do you so, want to cover in 60 seconds then, Steve? I was thinking getting cats into carriers. Getting cats into carriers. Fantastic. So the number one reason, unfortunately, as to why cats don't go to the veterinarian is the carrier comes out and the cats are gone. It's such a struggle to get them into the carrier. That can change. Leave the carrier out all the time as if it's a piece of furniture. Periodically drop treats inside so it becomes an automatic food dispenser. Over time, and the amount of time depends on the cat, the cat will actually look inside the carrier for food. Then what you do, once that happens, feed the cat out of the carrier. Give the cat a tour of your house. Take the cat around inside the carrier and say, this is the living room, this is the kitchen. Then routinely and nonchalantly, let the cat out of the carrier. Eventually take the cat into the car. Drive nowhere except around the block. Then come back home for a meal so the cat associates that car ride and the carrier with something good. And now you're ready to see your veterinary professional. Wow. Wow. That, that was absolutely wow. incredible. Content? That was amazing. That was absolutely perfect. Yeah, I, it couldn't be better. Oh, okay. Which I think is the definition of perfect, actually. But that, that, was, <laughs> that was great. I mean, wow. Uh, yeah, amazing. Thank you, thank you so much. And actually, of immense help, I think, to, to all our clients. Yeah. You know, when we get CPD, we, we normally have to produce a certificate to show that we've, we've had CPD. And oh. Oh, I've got one. You, you've got a certificate to do. Well, we've learned a lot tonight. I've got a certificate. Do I get one of those too? You, you can download the certificate. Well, yeah. Let's have a look at the certificate that you're holding oh, at the Hidden Union. Okay. Now, this, this says Certificate of Wireless CPD. There is such a thing. As the well, wireless, yeah, you've got, two, you've got two shows on the wireless. And this huh. says, this certifies that Steve Dale was actually and awesomely on our show, rambling with the best of them. AM, FM, JM. I would That's love that. I could actually download that. Yeah, 
you'll, so you'll be able to tell later. Can you send me a link as to where I could get that? Oh yeah, I'll print it out. Yeah, yeah. that's we'll very do. cool. Well, this way. there's there's my little dog, just there, Aww. and he's relaxing with his two best friends, Mister Piggy and Mister Sheepy. <laughs> and, and this is him. As I said, we carry him around in a little carrier, and he loves it so much. This is him. We left it out in the hallway, and he got into it himself. Oh wow, that's he nice. Loves it so much. Now, I've no idea why I put that there, but that's um. That, that's a leak that I drew a face on and, and called Henry for it. Um, <laughs> okay. And what's and the bottom in the, the corner in nicely, Julian? That's fine. That's, that's Mike and myself. And, I and, thought there, so. and there's a friend of mine who's a professional clown. <laughs> um, and there's the difference. We're, we're clowns, but not professional. And, and that's my friend Popple, who Popple is. Popple the clown. Popple the clown. And just in the background is Cakehold, his, his, um, his buddy clown. So they're professional clowns and non-professional clowns, just to tell the difference between the two of them. I, I, uh, I like the fact that some of your best pals are clowns. They, they are, actually. They're really nice. And they, they have a circus called Circus Wonderland. Uh, the, the, if you come to England, come come to the UK, Steve. Stay with us, and I'll take you to see Circus Wonderland. because Invite me there to speak. I'm serious. We've got the certificate, but we can't we can't actually put that forward. Oh. Uh for, for race accreditation. No, you're right. Or, you're right. or, or to fulfil the RCVS requirements. Yes, because we have to reflect, don't we? You've got to reflect on CPD. Do you have to do that, Steve, as well, in America? Uh, you mean put up the certificate to the mirror so it reflects? No, well, that's about as close as we get. I don't know what you mean. Oh, okay. In, in, no, in, you, don't, you, you in, go to a class in, and you get the, the, the credit and that's it. What do you mean by reflect? You sort of sit like like this. And, oh. And, <laughs> will you join well, us and there's reflection on the CPD? Sometimes. Or sometimes they're they're doing this as I'm talking. Sometimes they're doing that, you know. Okay, Hopefully well, not while I'm speaking. Well, no. So, so what, what we'd like to do, Steve, is just to invite you just to reflect back on this evening or this afternoon in your case, on, on some quality CPD and some great CPD, especially the 60-second CPD that you very kindly gave us on uh, on carriers and getting cats into carriers. Absolutely brilliant. So, oh, I don't know. Did I did I follow Margie Shirk at all with any quality? She's a hard act to follow. It, it was brilliant. It was absolutely it was spot absolutely on. Fine. Absolutely it was, fine. It was so let's, let's just join us, join us now for a moment's reflection on the CPD that we've received. And you know, that's the worst thing, isn't it? As, exactly. as, as, a, as a broadcaster, as a presenter yourself, that's, that's dead air, isn't it? Yes. <laughs> on, that, on that note, I mean... Yes. You, have you got a joke for us this evening? Well, I have. About gorillas? Have your, okay. I've got, a, I've got. So I normally finish off with a with a really bad joke, Steve, and I apologise for this in advance. But I've got a joke about um, about uh, a potato family. Hmm. Potatoes. And, um, and there's potatoes. Yeah. What? Because I've so been talking about potatoes all evening. All, all evening, we we've brought up potatoes, <laughs> and so here's as the the mother potato is um, is watching her her daughters get ready to go out on on a night uh, a night out. 
And the eldest daughter says, I'm going out with uh, a King Edward tonight. And the mother says, well, that's fantastic. That's wow, amazing. My daughter going out with a King Edward. I'm a very happy potato mum. Go on, off you go. Enjoy yourself. Hope he proposes. And then the next one comes along and says, Mama, I'm going out with a Jersey Royal. <gasps> a Jersey Royal, fantastic. Gosh, two of my daughters doing fantastic. This is brilliant. Off you go, enjoy yourself. And the third one says, Mum, I'm going out with Vin Scully tonight. And the mother says, no, you're not. No daughter of mine goes out with a commentator. <laughs> Should I be insulted because I'm a commentator? No, not at all. No, 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 Vince Scully's brilliant. He's brilliant. I'm, I'm excited that you guys know who he is. That's. Um, can I tell you a very fast dramatic story? Yes, please. And then probably we should go. So uh, a poodle and a border collie were talking, and the border collie said, "You know what? I am just so upset." I just can't take everything that's going on with the pandemic and everything else. My people are home all the time. They are driving me crazy. And the cat, oh my gosh. The, what's more, they went out and they got three more cats because they wanted to adopt three more cats. The poodle then, his best friend said, you know what? I just think you need to see a psychologist. And the border collie said, I cannot. The poodle said, why not? Border Collie said, well, I'm not allowed up on the couch. <laughs> you should really hang up on me now. <laughs> Listen. That's better than my jokes. That's very good. That's not <laughs> Steve Dale, can I say thank you very, very much for joining us tonight. And to all of our listeners or all of our viewers, whether you're watching us on Facebook or YouTube, or whether you're listening to us on Spotify or Amazon or through Alexa or all of those various uh, streaming platforms, if you like what you've seen or heard, then click like, let us know, give us some feedback and share share what you've learned and what you've picked up with your friends. Get them all along to the party because the more the merrier. So on that note, Steve, if I could raise my glass to you and wish you, may your dog go with you. May your dog go with you, Steve. Thank you so much. Cheers. Thank you. Thank you, Cheers. guys. Cheers. And cut. <laughs> Have you enjoyed yourself, Steve? Yeah, it was fun. I would do this anytime. Thank you. Thank you so much. It's been such a great night.